0: Hi, everyone. It's Meredith. Before we get into this week's episode, the very last of the season, Lolly and I just wanted to say thank you. We've been recording this podcast from our homes since March and are so grateful that you've joined us through this relatively travel-less year. We've really enjoyed answering your questions, airing our own anxieties, and catching up with women we admire around the world, and we hope you have too. We'll be back in January with new episodes, so be sure to subscribe so you're notified when we drop the very first of the season.
1: Hi, everyone, and thanks for listening to Women Who Travel, a podcast from Condé Nast Traveller. I'm Lale Arikoglu, and with me, as always, is my co-host Meredith Carey. Hi. As we've mentioned in previous episodes we've released over the last few months, books have served as both an escape and an education while we've been at home. And as we look to winter, and oh God, we are looking towards winter, which is both (laughs) prime reading and book gifting season we thought we'd spend our final episode of the year giving you just a few more ideas for your stack. Joining us to share their picks are podcast regular, Jin Dilling-Martin, an associate publisher at Riverhead Books. Hey everyone. And Kalima D'Souz, activist and founder of the intersectional feminist bookstore, Cafe Con Libros in Brooklyn.
2: Hi everyone.
1: So before we get started with our picks, I
0: wanted to ask you, Kalima, a question. Mm -hmm. Um, When we spoke to Emma Straub earlier this year, she spoke about the support and almost equally as important, the patience that we need to be showing our local bookstores. As people look to order books for the holidays and for themselves or their families, what advice would you give them?
2: Oh my gosh. First, I'm going to say thank you for that question because it's a really important one. Um, I would say that folks need to shop independent bookstores. That's number one. Shop local for the entire season. I don't want to be controversial. I do want to be honest. Amazon does not need your money. I promise you they are a billion dollar looking like trillion dollar company. But the independent bookstores, they do need your money. It's been a very, very rough season. So I'd say shop independent and local across the board. Number two, I would say to plan out your list, plan it out, do a little bit of research and then try to order in advance to give those small independent bookstores or those small local businesses the time to ship your packages. For me, I ship USPS because I am in militant solidarity with the USPS system. Although I respect the work of UPS and FedEx, I do think that it is really important that we stand in our politics. And one of the ways in which Cafe Con Libros is standing in our politics is to support the USPS. So that means that it's going to take a little bit longer than normal have patience, know that your dollar is just, it's not just about getting that gift. Your dollar means something in this world, in this social political climate. And so it means a shift in the way in which we engage with small businesses and engage with the USPS system. So again, shop local, plan ahead, be patient and understanding, and get creative in ways that you can continue to support your local businesses. Well, I was just going to say, if people are thinking about doing
1: their holiday book shopping now, they should do it like right now.
2: They should do it right now. And they should, you know, sort of ask around about inventory because inventory is an issue not on just our end, but the distributor's end. For them to even have the book in stock, which is a whole different issue that we're dealing with, for that book to then get to the bookstore, again, not to be controversial, but we do live in Amazon world and Amazon can get you a book in eight hours if they wanted to. Like if you if you paid Amazon Prime, you could get it. But an independent bookstore may not be able to get it to you in in eight hours. So again, plan, shop now, and know that your gift is going to arrive in time. And if it doesn't arrive right on time, it's fine. It is definitely not the end of the world.
0: <laughs> and we've said a million times that the holiday calendar is in the trash this year (laughs) we're just being flexible so treat that accordingly Meredith no one uh, had told me that I really appreciate that so much Thanksgiving is whenever Christmas is whenever thank you whenever we can make it happen inspirational words just you know if you're you know, books come three weeks later, you just like, what a surprise. What a love. What a treat.
1: You're like, oh, it's mid-January and I have a present. <laughs> we'll all, we
0: will all need them at that point, <laughs> I think yeah. that's good. Um, Jen, do you want to start us off with our very first book this episode? Oh my gosh. Sure. Well, so not even on purpose,
3: it just started as a coincidence, but now it's become my thing. I am obsessively now reading fiction set in New York City.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And I have to say it's sort of the same as like watching movies about the before times. Like, you know, there are restaurants, there are social engagements, the streets are alive with people. And it's it's the form my own nostalgia is taking right now is like, I want to be back in the place in time, like when the when the place that I've lived for 20 years was like thrumming and alive. So... The first one that it started with that is such a crazy book. It's this cult classic and it's on me that I had not heard of it until this summer and I'm really curious if anyone on today's podcast has read it as well. It's by this woman Fran Ross and it's called Oreo. It's her only novel. It's her only novel. So she wrote this in the 1970s. She was briefly a writer for Richard Pryor. This was like her one book, and it was this huge cult hit then. And then she died very young of lung cancer. It's a really intense and sad story. But writers that I really love, like Danzi Senna and Paul Beatty, all cite her as their inspiration. Like it's this manic, comic, antic, hilarious story of this young biracial woman growing up in Philadelphia, but then taking the train to try to find her, like, 'er ne'er-do-well father in New York City. And the scenes in New York City, it's New York of the 70s, are so stunningly written. She, like, sleeps out with some, she makes homeless friends and sleeps on the west side by the river. She goes up to try to find her dad in Harlem. She, like, I, I can't even, I won't even give it away where it all goes, but... The laugh per page ratio, I think, is the single highest of any book I've ever read. It is absolutely hysterically funny comic writing. And um, it is now back in print. So like if you just need to really laugh a lot or if you miss the days when like cities were full of, of people doing crazy shit all the time, uh, this is the novel that I'm here today to tell you, you should read. So, and I'm kind of, it makes me feel a little better that no one here has heard of her or read no, it. Never. Cause I really, no. yeah. So it's, it's this like funny cult classic. And I'd say like one, uh, I've been, I've been on beating the drum about this for a month now since reading it. And like maybe one in 10 people in my literary world had heard of it. So it does, it's, it's like still, still somehow swimming
0: a little, a little under the radar. Kalima, what yeah. is your first suggestion for everyone oh to Oh my read?
2: gosh. So my <laughs> first suggestion is Lobizona by Romina Garber. And I just want to start this off with, she's many great quotes in this book. My favorite quote, which is also on my website, is, why be a son of the system when you can mother a movement? Mike, drop for me. Beautiful. So beautiful. This is, it's so Beautiful. It's about world building and it's, for me, it's intersectionality at its finest. So she's she's talking about undocumented, being undocumented and the experience of being undocumented, being hyper visible while being completely invisible. And she tells the story through this young lady who is who is a werewolf, Lobizona. And in their world, only men can be werewolves. And so she has these radiant eyes that makes her completely invisible to the world because she can't let the world see her. So it parallels this this idea of being undocumented, but having this feature that makes you completely visible and hyper-visible and hyper-different. And it's so beautifully done. She's talking about gender roles and smashing conventions of all gender roles and same-sex love. So she's, she's, she brought in so many key elements of what it means to be present in today's social political climate, to include an ICE raid, to include a long lost father, to include a father who was an activist, so who had to be banned from the country. I think it's just so beautifully done. And of course, at the center of it is this young lady finding her own tribe. And so when she finds her tribe, she finds herself and she actually finds love for herself and then love in another guy. And part of that love is this, this, this whole, this very subtle discussion of consent, you know? So when he goes to touch her, he is asking permission. And I have really enjoyed stories that really center a very clear conversation about consent because I think that romance is always about like oh my gosh we fell into this heated lusty kiss and there's no conversation about like did you actually want that lusty heated kiss or like how did you want it and where did you want it and he's and he asked do you want this do you want me to kiss you here how do you feel and so an all-encompassing book beautiful world building um and again convention smashing
0: when we recorded, I think it was the April one, I was kind of going through the same thing that you are going through, Jen, in that I was trying to read because I wasn't in New York so much, just like New York fiction. And I read a book that had come out in March called The City We Became by N.K. Jemison, which is about New York. And I talked about it on that podcast, which I'm sure we'll link in the show notes. And I was like, I have to keep reading the books that this woman is writing because this is amazing. And so then I read the Broken Earth trilogy, which is super different from The City We Became, because it's like much more of a fantasy, sci-fi sort of vibe. And to me, it really just hit on all of these things that I was interested in reading about at the time. There's so much world building, like you said. Climate change is such a huge issue. And for me, it was just, I've been really loving books that are written from the perspective of a bunch of different characters. And so, you know, Disappearing Earth was something that I really loved earlier this year. Um, Girl, Woman, Other was another book that I really loved. And the first book of this trilogy, called The Fifth Season, is written in a similar style with a huge twist that I cannot give away. Um, But I just really loved this trilogy because it took me out of the reality of what was going on, but still hit at things that were super relevant today. If you liked watching like Avatar as a kid, like the last airbender, not the blue Avatar, um, or really (laughs) liked um, Game of Thrones, like those types of stories are in here, but like from such a female perspective and, you know, there's like magic and earth and weirdness, but it's all just done so beautifully. And I I don't think I've read a trilogy straight through like ever, like in that I just read, like I couldn't stop. Like I couldn't just be like, oh, I'm gonna read another book now. It was like, I have to stay in this world because it's so good. So I'd highly recommend The Broken Earth Trilogy.
2: I wish they had better covers, but <laughs> but I love them so much. Meredith, oh my gosh, this it was actually going to be on my list. It was actually going to be on so my good. list, and I said, "Kalima, go a different direction." <laughs> that book, I, I, I just. 10 seconds, I tell you, I'm a person that was completely nonfiction reader for the majority of my life, right? So, like, very heavy books all the time because I was, I spent a lot of time in the academy. So, not much time for fiction or science fiction or whatever. But I'm telling you, we read it last year as our last book of the year. And I was going to give up after page 75 because it takes so long to world build. I had never, I was not accustomed to that. Once you get past page 75, it is all uphill from there. And literally, The last 10 pages, it took, I I read a page a day because I didn't want to let go of the characters, the world, what was coming ahead. It is a book of pure perfection in terms of so many social issues in one and perfectly done in this completely different world. And you have to use your imagination. And I just loved it. Yes, 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 100%.
0: Lale, how are you going to follow that?
2: (laughs)
1: Well, um, a book that both me and Meredith have read without realizing that the other one was reading it, which is the Memory Police by Yoko Ogawa, which is one of the strangest books that I've read in a good while. It's set in a on a fictional island in Japan under some sort of vague authoritarian rule, by the, this sort of organization called the Memory Police. And I won't give too much away. I'm terrified of giving too much away by, with this book that I still truly don't quite understand. <laughs> um, but basically all the characters in the book are slowly starting to lose their memories of objects. So each day a different object loses its meaning.
3: Wow, wow. Um, and For it's all, f- like they would all forget an orange on the same day collectively. Okay. So
1: they'll forget what a spoon is, for example, or a photograph suddenly loses all meaningness. And it goes from there. And I've been to Japan before, and I think that really helped inform how I read the book in terms of the quietness and the pace of it and sort of how I imagined it to look. Meredith, you haven't been to Japan, and I'm really interested to know how you connected with it.
0: I haven't, but I also wrote quiet in my notes because I was going to bring this book up too. I think it was just published in July of this year in English and it was published in Japanese in like the 90s. But it was one of those books where I was like, if an American wrote this book, they would f- screw it up so bad. Because there are so many unknowns in the book that you just have to live with. And you're just like plodding along as the tension is growing and the tension is growing. And then the book ends and you're like, are we gonna have a resolute? like? Wh- So many things that I thought were going to happen didn't happen, but then other things that I thought weren't going to happen did. But I thought it was just, the way it is written is so beautiful. It's like such a, almost like a tongue twister for your mind. It is, I really, really enjoyed this book. The cover is beautiful and I would recommend it. Also, it helped me out of my reading rut. I've like found that there are certain books throughout the last couple months that as I've like you know, read the entire trilogy and then, like, haven't read for two months have, like, pulled me out of that. And this book was one of them because it just, like, makes you really love reading.
1: And I think one other thing that I found very oddly comforting about it to read this year was that there is a sort of, a certain theme of, like, finding your, like, chosen family in a time of loss, um, which I think a lot of people have had to do when they can't physically be with their actual families. Um, And sometimes I don't want to be reminded of that sort of stuff right now, but that book did a really amazing job of threading it in a way that felt beautiful and comforting.
3: Yeah. Fiction out of Japan is so, it's so interesting to read to me, partly like, obviously their their literary sensibility is so different. So the pace or the arc or the sense of like, wait, the big thing that was to happen didn't happen, even though it would always happen if it were a, a Western novel. Um, But their language grammatically is so different than ours. And in talking to translators out of the Japanese, I think it may be actually one of the hardest languages to translate into English because they have several grammatical structures that we don't even have here that are incredibly important to nuance in their language. And so how you then get that when we don't even have the grammar to offer it, I think is really... Anyhow, Mm -hmm. so sometimes I wonder when reading from the Japanese, like, is it weird... Because of my Western sensibilities, or is
2: it weird because the translators like?
0: <laughs> I don't how do I even do this?
2: <laughs> right, and also, you know, is is you know, so I'm a, a social worker, and one of the things that we talk about is how do you provide clinical social work in Spanish when there are terms and ideas in in English that don't even exist in Spanish, and so need like how do you translate that? How do you get that out? But if I could just tell you, can I can I segue? to the next book, oh. because my next book is Convenience Store Woman by Sayaka Murata. Oh my gosh. So when we talk about translations, one of the things that in a book club we all struggle with in the beginning of the book is this writing feels so much different. Like it, we couldn't put our finger on it. It was the texture of it. It was like, what were they trying to say? Um, and then we realized like part of the issue was that it was a translation. And so it, it asked us and it really, really forced us to get deeper into the Japanese culture and to suspend our expectation of what writing is supposed to look and feel like because writing does have a feeling and to just be with the story. Loved this book. I found it to be disturbing. I found it to be funny. It made me uncomfortable. It made me angry. It made me sad. There were parts of it that I completely resonated with. It's about this lady who is completely different, has, has never had a romantic affair, has never, like, has this very interesting group of friends who you you could, on any given day, you can argue whether or not they're her actual friends. She's worked in a convenience store for the majority of her life. She started there, never left, did not want to move up into in management, just really loved um, the working in a convenience store. In the end, she decides to transition, but it's, it's really interesting. And I think... A lot of people resonated with the book in our book club for many different reasons. Some people said, oh, I love this idea of, of not pursuing excellence all the time or not feeling like you have to have a profession that is... Acceptable, particularly and specifically in the Japanese culture where there is so much expectation towards excellence and overachievement? Um, and is this also this expectation that because she's a woman, she's supposed to be centering and prioritizing love, which happens to be an issue in all on, on continents, if you ask me. But it was really interesting to see some of her behavior and to then question whether she's neurodivergent. Is she on the spectrum? And that folks completely ignored the possibility that she's on the spectrum and treated her in a particular way. And it, it, it left us with questions because she never answers that. She never says like, this person's on the spectrum. She doesn't say that. But at the end, she, she ends with a love story to the convenience store. And you realize that her love affair, her romantic affair has been with the convenience store, which is again, not traditional. And so does traditional mean new art diversion or just traditional means untraditional? Like it is a is a very, very disturbing book that leaves you with more questions than answers, but really forces you to examine the ways in which we show up and the expectations of how other people are supposed to show up that is based in society's expectations versus your own vision of your own life. Love the book.
0: I love these suggestions, honestly. This is so, so great. I can't believe we have
3: multiple Japanese novels. Um, right, I know, right? right. I love it. from the get-go.
0: That's
3: Loves it. awesome. Right, Jin, what have you got up your sleeve? Well, I feel like I have to pivot to a Japanese novel now. This is like... <laughs> <laughs> I'll just say briefly, we are really proud. We have this wonderful young female Japanese novelist, Yumiri, who's novel Tokyo Ueno Station is a finalist for the National Book Award this year. So it's like a great time to be a female Japanese novelist right now. It's really uh, a lot flourishing out of there. Um, and kind of maybe more like your, your memory police book. It's an eerie, ethereal book about the spirit world in Japan. It's about a homeless ghost who haunts a specific uh, subway station in Tokyo. And it's it's not plot driven, but it is like mood driven and short. So, you know, so the other New York book, and you know, it would not be an appearance for me if I didn't bring up a classic. I am such a huge classics reader. So the other space I've gone into for New York has been Edith Warden. If I ever just need to like, laugh a lot and be distracted uh, by the problems of, uh, in a way, it's a fantasy novel, right? Like (laughs) a very rich, very elite New York of a different time. Um, And my favorite is Custom of the Country. So I did reread that this fall. And I don't think there's ever been a better anti-hero written than the anti-hero of Custom of the Country. Undine Sprague is one of the most lovably, loathsome, disgusting, ladder-climbing villains who you're just both like you want her to fail and yet you want her to succeed because of how uncomfortable it's making all of the muddied, uh, well-heeled class of New York feel. And the descriptions of her the the kind of shabby hotel that the family first moves into with giant pink bows tied around the palms and pots and the tacky satin damask and all the portraits of Marie Antoinette around and how how fancy she feels living in the stentorian hotel it's just the descriptions are to die for and it's been fun to be immersed back in like that that weird rarefied
1: New York of the 1920s I'm, like, fascinated by all things written in the 1920s at the moment because it is the life that came after the pandemic and I want to just gobble that stuff up as any sort of, like, glimpse into what is on the other side of this for us, which, if you go by, like, certain novels, it's a lot of alcohol and a lot of partying by the looks of it but (laughs) and a lot of excess... I don't think um, anyone's going to complain about that. I was going um, you know. maybe, maybe I'm just like, I might just be projecting my own needs right now. I have actually never read any Edith Wharton and I would love advice on where to start because I have to say I have leafed through many a copy of many of her books in a bookstore and then never known which one to choose and I just put it back. So what's my Edith Wharton starter pack? Mm,
3: good question. Really do start with Custom of the Country. It's like, it's one of the, it's slightly trashier than her, like, <laughs> than, than, like big thumping classics, but it is the most fun and they're all hysterically funny. I mean, they all will give you, like, great,
0: great pleasure, um, I, I believe, so.
1: All right, well, I'll be putting my order in then. <laughs> um, Lale, what is your next pick? Okay, so my next pick was a very highly anticipated novel for this year, which was Lying Life of Adults by Eleanor Ferrante. Going... (laughs) Great enthusiasm on the Zoom screen right now. (laughs) Lots of fist-pumping. Yeah. Meredith, when you were saying how there's only been one time when you've read a trilogy back-to-back and, you know, there were four novels in the Neapolitan um books but for me that's the one time I did it where I would just close one and then have to open the next book up so I had been counting down for this book and it really while I had to accept that I was diving into a different Naples world and it wasn't going to be the one of my brilliant friend etc it was so wonderful and it's set in Naples in the 90s and follows the trials and tribulations of a teenage girl who's an only child in Naples and trying to connect with family members who live in contrasting parts of Naples. And, you know, that city is so alive in Ferrante's writing and God, the men are shitty in her books. And it was just, I was just absorbed for a week.
2: Let me tell you, I was... I was nervous that I wasn't going to be able to connect with you all on books. I said, "I, you know, I haven't been able to read that much over the past 2 years because I have a 2-year-old and I work full-time, but this is making me smile because my brilliant friend made my top 5 books of last year as well. Wow. It was one of the most beautifully written stories, a complicated story. It was just so beautiful, and I again, this is you know I don't have a I don't have the luxury of going through the the series because I'm I, I read with the book club only, but I'm so glad you brought this up because I was so happy to receive that book in the bookstore and put it on the front because she is such a beautiful writer and I think the way in which she captures the culture and the history of Naples is impeccable. And I, I remember like reading a part in, in the book and remembering my walk through Naples. Every time I go to Naples, I feel like this place is beautiful and dark and scary and exciting and all this great stuff. And reading the book is the same way. And so she did, like it's just so well done.
0: I think if you're looking to travel, it is probably the best. <sighs> she is probably yeah. the best person to lean on at the moment because she delivers.
2: She really, really, really
0: does. Can we just say, shout out to the other
3: theme besides Japan, which is women who have written trilogies, four books, but like (laughs) big, sweeping, ambitious women where they're like willing to bite off and write many volumed book fictional landscapes. And that historically was the territory of men. And it's really exciting whether like Elena Enfrante and N.K. Jemisin different genres but still really having the ambition to build these huge worlds and take on an enormous project with confidence same as
2: Romina but Garber Lobizona is one of three books wow is and I cannot wait I'm like sitting on my hands waiting like when are you gonna pump out that book come on let's go (laughs) it so. is I'm so ready for it and I think that thing of world building
1: is such a male dominated territory, both in fiction and then also in real life, given that every city has been designed by men. And to at at least have this like fictional outlet where women are like creating new worlds and rebuilding things in different new imagined ways is so exciting to me and also just so cathartic as well. Yes, I agree.
2: I agree.
0: So since we've been talking about the books that other people should buy for themselves or for their family and friends, Jin and Kalima, what books would you like to get this year for the holidays?
2: Yeah, so I I'll tell you this I don't have a specific title. I just discovered fantasy sci-fi. And I find that um, YA books are doing, I'm doing well with YA books. And so if anybody were to give me something, it would be a YA book, a young adult book that is fantasy, magical realism, sci-fi-ish, and a romance as, as somewhere in it. I, and if you needed to draw on anything that could help you out, you can draw on 100 Years of Solitude, which is one of my favorite books of all time. Jane the Virgin. <laughs> <laughs> You're speaking my language here. <laughs> Jane the Virgin, which is th- one of the most feminist shows ever. So well done. And the fifth season, right? Like I, so if you, if I don't know if um, if there's a book that exists like that, but listen, that would be my my dream book, my dream book.
0: Jen, how about you? Wow, I'm just
3: trying to imagine if like Gabriel Garcia Marquez had guest written an episode of Jane the Virgin, like what? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I don't know if I can recover from even this this uh, image, Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, as a matter of fact, the Ferrante actually is on my wish list that uh, has been sent to my parents. So um, <laughs> that's uh, one of the books, and then the other. I don't. I don't know how everyone's pandemic hobbies were go- are going. Now, you know, like we've been through banana bread. We've like did sourdough starter, home crafts. <laughs> like I, I don't know where everyone else is at. Um, the two things I'm going to focus on for winter are homemade Japanese food, specifically learning to make tofu, and then Japanese rock gardening. I know this, this is just how fringe things get after seven months. <laughs> um, but there's this wonderful woman I follow on Instagram. She has a stunning Instagram account, and she has a cookbook called The Japanese Table. So that's the the cookbook
1: that's on my wish list. So much Japan. I know.
3: Who kn- we did not plan this. We did <laughs> not plan. I don't know. I don't know what's in the air.
1: I think I think a lot of desperation to travel somewhere far, far away.
0: <laughs> also, I feel like there can be nothing more relaxing and like focused than a rock garden at this moment. You know what I mean? Thank like, you it's just, for like, seeing me. Thank you, Meredith. I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> There's some level of like laser focus that you
3: need. <laughs> this is to what be it's contemplated. It me about me staring Gardner. at
0: rocks,
1: month <laughs> yeah. seven. Just monastically taking them outside, laying them somewhere new. <laughs> um,
0: Lale, other than an Edith Wharton book, what do you want for the holidays?
1: Actually, there is a book that I would love that I feel like everyone has been raving about it. it is a debut novel and it is luster by raven lalani
2: yes! <laughs> great choice great choice. let's have the conversation <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, please tell me without telling me everything tell Hi. me all about it
2: yeah you know this is a very very interesting book um she is a virtuoso hands down and i cannot wait to see where she goes from here it is really it is on my list. It is a discussion of the intersections of race, class, gender roles and domestic life, and she is talking about much like what you were saying, Jen, about about New York City. She's talking about Bushwick in ways that if if you've if you if you've ridden the L train or you've walked through Bushwick, you can smell what she's talking about. You can hear what she's talking about. You can feel the tension and how close we all are on the L train and like get off we, of you know. And she's talking about these things in a way that feels so New Yorkish, so Brooklynish, and then she goes to the suburbs, and then you really get to see class and race play out in a very interesting ways. And not it, it, some of them are like right dabbing your face. The racial microaggressions are like boom, but then there are the subtle things that she talks about that you don't necessarily attribute to race until she gives you this long, long sentence about this a bar of soap. And you see how race and class is intersection, intersecting in this discussion about a bar of soap. You know, it is so well done. And finally, I want to say that it's, you have to be in a space to read this book because the sentences are very long. And she she does a lot of dis, like describing of details. Uh, and if you're not in a space to hold that and you want to get right to the point, it's not the book for you. But if you like to meander through an idea and through, you know, the crease of a, of a show, somebody's shoulder, something, she takes you there. I'm telling you, Lale, you are in for a good damn read that's going to really question your politics around your feminist politics I promise you oh I cannot wait it is so well done
0: that feels like a very good very well-rounded idea-filled place to wrap up if people want to follow what you're up to Kalima and what the bookstore is up to where can they find
2: you on social media Sure. Thank you. Um, so we are at Café con Libros underscore BK on Instagram and on Twitter.
3: Um, Jin, how about you? Uh, it's Jin on Twitter with four N's: J
0: Y N N N N E. Perfect. I'm at oh hey there, Mayor. I'm at Lale Hannah. Be sure to follow Women Who Travel on Instagram at women who travel and subscribe to our newsletter. And like I said at the beginning of this episode, be sure to subscribe so that when we come back in January, you get to hear those first episodes of the year. We are so excited to bring you more episodes in 2021. Hopefully, not hopefully, we will be traveling more and we'll talk to you next year.